0: Thank you for being mature through the difficult technical difficulties. It's just a speaker. We're here to praise God with speakers, without speakers. We do it. So, excited to start Matthew chapter 27. I know Matt started that on Sunday. For those that are wondering, when are we going to be over with Matthew? Well, after almost three years, we will be ending Matthew at the end of September. One of our fearless leaders, Brandon... He started it, and he has the honor of finishing it with the Great Commission, and that will be one of the Wednesdays in September. And then what's next? Stay tuned. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. Today we're going to focus on verses 11 through 14. Title of the message of today is Jesus before Pilate. I just realized I never give you guys a title, ever. I don't even think I put it up there, too. I do? Oh, yeah, yeah, I do. It's the first slide. Got it. Okay. How many of you have ever been accused of doing something that you didn't do? Okay. Maybe, I don't know, it was one of your siblings that went to your parents and said, Mom, so-and-so said that you were the meanest mom ever that mom my brother hit me or my sister hit me or they don't want to share or they took the front seat and it was my turn or they didn't do their chores I know that doesn't happen here because you know you guys love each other to death but if these false accusations came to your ears if you heard that your siblings were saying this to your parents the majority of you would probably get mad and react and defend yourself and say no no mom that's that's a lie I did this I did that you would defend yourself that's human nature it's natural to want to defend yourself if they're being accused falsely now let's change the context in this context you're in a courtroom and it's not your brother or sister that's accusing you now it's the government accusing you it's accusing you of wanting to overthrow the government you know you're innocent is there an echo do you hear an echo or is it just me Maybe we can put a little bit down there. So it's the American government coming after you, and the prosecutor is charging you and giving you um, one accusation after the other, after another, after another, and you say to yourself, well, what's going on here, right? It's the federal government. You can possibly be facing prison, life in prison, even death, for wanting to throw, overthrow the government. So what do you do? You want to hire the best defense lawyer, Talk to O.J. Simpson, right? When the judge asks you, what is your plea to all these allegations and accusations, what are you going to say? You know you're innocent. You even have proof that can set you free. So what do you do? Well, as a human, the only ecological answer is, well, you say not guilty, right? You want to clear your name and not die in prison or by the electrical chair. But today, you will find and we will read that the Son of Man, Christ, the God-Man, he faced similar accusations of wanting to overthrow the Roman Empire that reigned over Palestine and Jerusalem. He could have claimed that he was innocent because he was. He could have showed them proof that he was innocent because he was. But he stayed quiet. He stayed quiet to fulfill a greater plan. And thank God that he stayed quiet to fulfill that plan because that plan is the plan for our salvation. Let's begin reading today's passage in Matthew chapter 27 verses 11 through 14. The word of God says, now Jesus stood before the governor and the governor questioned him saying, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, it is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? And he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge. So the governor was quite amazed. So we finished all the events that took place on Thursday of the Passover week. We finished that with Peter's denial. Three times Peter denies Christ. Then on Sunday, we started chapter 27, which we begin Friday of the Passover week. And we'll be going over until the end of Matthew, all the events that occur on Friday of the Passover week. And the first event that Matt actually taught over quickly was verses 1 and 2, where now Jesus is going from the trial when he's at the hands of the Sanhedrin or the Jews, and now he's being delivered to the Roman authority, Pilate, the governor. He quickly introduced that, and we're going to go back to that in a second. And then he focused the remaining of the time on what Matthew records as judas's remorse judas's remorse that it wasn't really true repentance because he took his life he took his life so today we're going to dive more into the continuation of verses 1 and 2 of chapter 27 and specifically we're going to look at this the two responses of jesus before pilate jesus's responses before pilate the first response we're going to look at is Jesus' affirmation. we're going to find that in verse 11. And the second response we're going to look at is Jesus' self-control. Verses 12-14. The theme is simple tonight. Kind of copied Brandon when he taught while Jesus was under the, the Jews' trial. Jesus is Christ. Messiah, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. Let's begin by looking at the first response, Jesus' affirmation in verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you say. So to better understand, now Jesus stood before the governor, let's go and recap a little bit of what Matt taught you on Sunday. Verses 27, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 27. Now when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. So the result of Jesus' trial in front of the Sanhedrin was, they're going to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate, the governor. He goes from the Jewish authority to the Roman authority. We see that the Jews wanted to kill Jesus, but they legally couldn't. As Matt mentioned, they had been trying to find a way to kill him. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, and he was super, he was getting popular. His name was being recognized. Remember the triumphal entry. People knew Jesus, O Santa, the King of David, because he had done this miracle. And Matthew, Matt, read John 11, 47-48. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council. And were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And from then forward, they tried to find a time to get him killed. So now, Jesus is in front of the Sanhedrin and they find an accusation that could lead to his death. And this accusation, they accuse Jesus of blasphemy let's just review real quick what brandon taught a couple of weeks ago in matthew 26 verses 63 to 66 but jesus kept silent and the high priest said to him i adjure you by the living god that you tell us whether you are the christ the son of god jesus said to him you have said it yourself nevertheless i tell you hereafter you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Because until that point, all those witnesses that came, they couldn't, they couldn't stick any accusation on Christ. But this one, what further witness do we have? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered, He deserves death. And they're not wrong. According to the Jewish law, those considered guilty of blasphemy were to die Leviticus 2416 moreover the one who blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death all the congregation shall surely stone him the alien as well as the native when he blasphemes the name shall be put shall be put to death so they have now a reason to put him to death but legally they can't Matt asked another question to you guys on Sunday, and it was a pretty interesting question. Why go to the trouble of going to the Romans? Why couldn't they just kill him secretly? What's the big deal? MacArthur stated, they also didn't want to kill him because he was popular among the Jews, and they didn't want any negative repercussion affecting their political stance. So, number one, it was political suicide for them if they did that, because... Jesus was had a large following, and they didn't want any riots, and they didn't want to lose their power, so they didn't want to didn't want to kill the Messiah. But most importantly, they refused because they didn't want to murder. They, they didn't want that murder to be in their conscience. They wanted, they didn't want to be guilty of it. They wanted an innocent man dead, but did not want to pull the trigger. I like that example they use used of, of the bullet, and I don't know why you chose Drew, but it's fine. See, their hypocrisy blinded them. In their system of being good with God or of being saved, they basically live the life that they want, simple pleasures, their desires, and then do something good and hopefully outweigh the bad that they just did, and that'll be enough for Judgment Day. That's the way they thought. Well... I'll follow certain laws here and there, the easy ones to follow. The ones that I just don't want to follow and I want to follow in my selfish desires and needs, I'm just going to do those. But I know that's bad, so I'm going to do more good than bad. So that, that by the end of the week, i kind of like, I'm a good person. I, I'll go to heaven. In this case, they knew he was innocent. They wanted to kill him. Why do they want to kill him? They, Jesus made him look bad all the time. He took away his authority. He exposed the hypocrisy. They were tired of Jesus calling them out. So in their mind, they say, well, if the Romans killed him based on the accusation of, oh, Rome, you know, he wants to be a king. You know what that means? Then they would kill him and the guilt wouldn't fall on them. It would fall on the Romans. And they would sleep at night without having to worry about an innocent man's death on their hands. And then they continue to live the simple life that they want, wanted to without any repercussions. What is the summary of that? What is, that even, what, is, what, is, what is the root of that? Of why the Pharisees live that way? And why some of us today live that way? Well, it's because they wanted to be Lord over their lives. They wanted to be God over their lives. They did not want to be Lorded over. See, they saw in the Lord the potential of being the Messiah. They saw his signs. They saw his miracles. They saw the wonders that he produced. But refused to believe in him because, guess what? continue holding the power that they had it would would, that would have to change that would have to change if they accepted the Messiah for who he was then they would accept his teachings and then to accept his teachings would mean that their way of life would have to change their way of God, their way of salvation would have to change if that had to happen then they would have to truly repent truly change and ultimately be lorded over remember they weren't expecting a, a spiritual savior they were expecting a physical savior who was going to take away the Roman pressure, so they can continue to live in their sin to continue to hold the power that they had to do what they pleased and then do some good deeds here and there and at the end of the day I'm good with God so they wanted, to put, they wanted to believe in God their own way. And you might have friends like that. They, they believe in God their own way. Well, I, I believe this of the Bible, and I don't believe that. I believe that I can do this, but I won't do that. And that's not how it works. Either Christ is Lord or He's not. Either He's your Lord or He's not. You can't pick and choose what part of the Bible you want to believe in because you're going to be very surprised at the end. And that's why you come here on Wednesdays to learn about the Word, and on Sundays, and with your parents. So that when you leave youth ministry and you go into Abide or you go to college, you can never say, no one told me what it means to be Jesus as my Lord. So that's why they bring him to Pilate. They bring Jesus to Rome because they can't put him to death. They need Rome's permission. And that's where we find ourselves. See, the Romans allow the people that they conquered certain... Autonomy over their everyday life and customs, with some exceptions. One of those exceptions was putting someone to death. If you wanted to put someone to death, you would have to go through Rome first, as Rome would officially sentence the death. And to oversee these proceedings and to govern these territories that the Roman Empire would conquer, they established a hierarchy of those who governed the conquered lands. They established Roman rulers, and we've read about them in Matthew, We learned about Herod and his sons. When you read Acts, you have Agrippa in Acts 25. These are Roman rulers. Then you have Roman procurators or governors, such as Pilate, such as Felix in Acts 23, and Festus in Acts 24. MacArthur states this, Most of Palestine was under the nominal monarchical dominion of three sons of Herod the Great, Herod Antipas, who ruled Galilee and Perea? Philip ruled the sparsely populated northeast area. Archelaus maybe ruled Judea. And it's funny cuz I, I go to YouTube and I go how do you pronounce these words and I just forget. Okay. Samaria and another territory. But the supreme Roman official over Judea was a procurator who was the governor who also commanded the Roman troops. So there were there was a hierarchy, a hierarchy of leaders that governed but the person in charge who was also in charge of the soldiers was the governor and in this case is Pilate so who was this governor Pontius Pilate he was the fifth Roman procurator of Judea and he ruled from 26 to 36 AD God had ordained him to be the governor who would sentence Jesus to death And God ordained the Roman Empire to be the government in place that would allow the type of execution that Jesus would face, which was death by a cross. For what? To fulfill scripture, to fulfill the prophecies from the Old Testament. God has strategically placed this government in power and always know that. That God is always in control, that He's always sovereign. I told you, and we always tell you this: the fact that man sinned, it did not catch God by surprise. From Genesis 3:15, there was a promise of the seed that would deliver mankind from their sin. And even in the time period, the era of where Christ would come to earth as man and would die is in God's sovereignty. Romans 13, verses 1 through 2 says. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God and they would have opposed and those who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. So it was this government that God chose for Christ to be sentenced by. But even in this government, This government had rights. And before they put someone to death, they heard them and they questioned them. And they gave him um, an opportunity to defend themselves. This is what Pilate does. He questions him. He gave Jesus the right to defend himself. Pilate basically says, look, I'm I'm hearing the ruckus of the Jews and I'm hearing all their complaints because he dealt with them all the time. But let me hear the one that's actually being accused. Carson d.a. Carson states in Roman trials the magistrate normally heard the charges first questioned the defendant and listened to his defense sometimes permitted several exchanges and then retired with his advisors to decide on a verdict which was then promptly carried out so this was this was the Roman law let's see what he has to say let's ask some questions once that's done let's go with my advisors and we'll what the sentence is going to be if he's innocent or if he's guilty so what does he ask jesus and the governor questioned him saying are you the king of the jews are you the king of the jews that's weird because we just read in matthew that that wasn't the accusation what was the accusation blasphemy Right? That's what the, the Jewish Sanhedrin was accusing of him. Blasphemy for calling himself the son of God. So where does Pontius Pilate say, Are you the king of the Jews? Where does he get this? Well, Luke tells us. Luke chapter 23 verse 2 says, And they began to accuse him, meaning the Jews, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Okay, so now we know why Pontius Pilate asks him that, asks him that. but were any of those accusations true? Did, really, did Jesus really prohibit the Jews from paying taxes? We learned about that. No, he doesn't. In Matthew 22, verses 21, they said to him, Caesars, when he asked whose coin, whose face is on that coin, it says Caesars. Then he said to him, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are of God what did he tell he when he's talking about if if, if somebody asks you to go one mile, go with him too remember that was referencing Roman soldiers if a Roman soldier asks you to go with him for one mile to carry his weapons, go with him too Jesus is not he's not causing any insurrection, he's not telling anyone to not pay taxes to Caesar but why? so why do they mention this specific accusation saying hey Pilate, watch out, he wants, he's calling himself king. Because that would mean what? That Jesus would challenge the authority of Rome and could potentially lead an insurrection like the ones that they've had to squander. You remember the zealots? The ones that wanted freedom from the from the Romans? Remember, one of the apostles was a zealot himself. And that's what they lived for. They wanted independence from Rome. Calvin, John Calvin states, Nothing could have been more odious than Then this crime to Pilate, whose greatest anxiety was to preserve the kingdom in a state of quietness. Pilate didn't want any of this to happen under his watch. So by them coming and saying he wants to be king, it would get Pilate thinking, hold on, we got to do something about this because we cannot let that happen. I cannot afford a riot under my watch. They knew that the blasphemer accusation wouldn't stand, so they manipulated the situation to have the Romans label him a traitor so what does jesus respond he affirms what Pilate is saying and jesus said to him it is as you say the greek word for say here is declaration so jesus is basically saying it is how you just have declared it to be i am king what is the theme of the book of matthew that we've been learning about Jesus is king right what does Matthew do throughout the entire gospel as he's writing it what is this what is this what is it what is he trying to do what is he telling the Roman Jew that's reading this letter what is he what is he doing he's trying to what persuade that hey Jesus is King stop thinking of that physical savior or physical king he's a spiritual king and let me show you why he's the one that uses all the Old Testament references to prove his point spiritual king, spiritual king he is king repent and believe this is the right way to interpret Isaiah and the Old Testament we've, been, we've had it all wrong this is how it ends and he goes into Jesus' life to prove that he is king Jesus, just as he told us in when they asked him he tells Pilate, he's king And I know it might sound redundant to you, but we cannot say it enough. We praise him because he's king. We praise him because this amazing king paid the price of death for our sins. This amazing king conquered death, and on the third day, he rose. And just like today's theme, Jesus is the Christ, is the Messiah is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he will reign forever. John tells us that Jesus said a little bit more than just it is as you say. Everyone turn your Bibles to John chapter 18. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 18. The word of God says, Therefore, Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews but as it is my kingdom is not of this realm therefore Pilate said to him so you are a king Jesus answered you say correctly that I am a king for this I have been born and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth everyone who is of the truth hears my voice Pilate said to him what is truth and when he said and when he has said this he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. He was like, look, I am a king, not a king in this world. There's no threat to you. And we're going to see, Pilate knew it. He, he had some discernment to know that. And why, why is it important that Jesus is king? Well, theologically, for those that are taking notes, this is one of Christ's threefold works. Christ threefold works christ is prophet as he delivers to god's people god's special revelation god is jesus is priest as he's the people's representative before god the father he offered his own blood as the perfect sacrifice and he is also king and he will reign eternally revelation 19 16 says and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written king of kings and lord of lords. So Christ is prophet, he is priest, and he is king. And this is part of the threefold work of Christ. For those that are taking notes, and it's just a theological term that you want to know. After he confirms that he is king, this once, again, ruffles the feathers of the Jews, and what do they do? They began accusing him in front of Pilate. Right? Which leads us to the second response of Jesus before Pilate which is Jesus' self-control Jesus' self-control verse 12 and while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders he did not answer Mark mentions that the chief priests accused him harshly Luke writes but they kept on insisting saying he stirs up the people teaching all over Judea starting from Galilee even as far as this place again we see the lengths of the Jewish anhedron that they take to do what? to try to slander Jesus to make sure that they're this close of getting him killed let's make it happen let's just throw anything out there hopefully something sticks to have this man murdered by, well, killed by the Roman Empire so what did Jesus do? amidst of all these accusations he defended himself he called the angels from heaven and destroyed everyone that was there he eloquently defended himself Using the Roman law? No, he didn't do any of that. The Bible says he did not answer. He did not answer. You see the pattern? When they accused him, when the Jews were accusing him of all these false accusations, he stayed quiet. When they asked him, are you the Messiah? Are you the king? He said, yes, I am. When Pilate asked him, Are you the king? He says, yes, I am. When the Jews accuse him falsely, he stays quiet. Why? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Number one, to fulfill scripture and God's plan for redemption. Isaiah 53, 7 says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like sheep that is silent before its shears, so He did not open his mouth. See, if it wasn't for Christ to remain quiet, there is no trial. There is no sentence. There is no death. There is no resurrection. There is no justification. And there is no salvation. It starts from him receiving a sentence. And if he defended himself, he probably would have been spared. But he didn't. Because there was a bigger plan that he came for. There was a bigger plan of obedience to his father for the plan of salvation. He said, quiet to obey the father's plan to save us. Guys, the Bible is clear. The wages for sin is death. We deserve death. We deserve hell. We sinned against a holy God. Christ sends his only, God sends his only son, Christ, to live the perfect life that you and me could have lived. He sent Christ to be at the helm of the hands of sinners. As a baby, in the hands of sinful parents. And right before his death, at the hands of a sinful judge. A pagan judge. But it's all part of the plan. Because that pagan judge, that pagan nation would sentence Jesus to death. He would die. But on the third day, he would resurrect. And he is alive today. And the Bible is clear. That if you have faith only in Christ for your salvation. If you repent from your sins and make him Lord you too will be with Him in eternity as He reigns as King. The wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Stop hesitating to make Jesus your Lord if that's you tonight. Don't be like the Pharisees trying to fit Jesus in the mold that you want Him to fit in. Well, I want to do this, I know the Bible says I don't, but I want to do it because it feels so good. Ah, this whole idea, I can ask for forgiveness. God is merciful and he just forgives me all the time. And I, just, and I can just, you know, do better, do more good than bad, and I'll be saved. Or, yeah, I, I like this Jesus, the one that's more tolerant to other people. And that's the Jesus that I want to believe in, not the Jesus of the Bible. You become like the Pharisee who put him to death. Stop trying to make Jesus fit in the mold that you want him to be in but guess what and jesus is lord whether you like it or not and he will reign whether you like it or not and you will bow your knee whether you like it or not in this life in heaven if you're there or in hell you will bow your knee to the king of kings and the lord of lords because he is the king of kings another reason why he didn't answer was to set an example for us what do you mean by that first peter chapter 2 verses 21 and 23 the context of the letter for first peter is the church is being persecuted and peter's writing this letter to those saints to stand firm in the midst of trials and he says for you have been called for this purpose since christ also suffered for you leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting in himself to him who judges righteously. The example to trust in God who judges righteously. To be, a light, and, to be light and salt in the midst of persecution. The day could come, guys, that we will be persecuted for our faith in this country. Like many brothers and sisters around the world are being persecuted right now. just like, And this letter would make a lot more sense to us because we're going through it, right? And what does Peter tell the church that was being persecuted then and he tells the church today? Trust in the Father's plan because he who judges righteously is in control. And not only in that extreme case... But even in a practical case, when you are accused falsely with by your siblings, by your teacher, by a by a youth leader, by your parent, by whoever, emulate Jesus' example. Respond slow to anger. If you if the, the truth is the truth, then it's always gonna come out, so there's no reason why they get angry. And love. Like Christ loved. And you can be salt and light in that moment saying, Hold on a second, I'm falsely accusing this person, this person not even making a fuss out of it. What does this person have that I don't? Well, it's because Jesus is my Lord and the Holy Spirit dwells in me and I want to follow him and that's why. See, Pilate couldn't understand how Jesus wasn't answering back and wasn't defending himself. So then, on verse 13, then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? Jesus is hearing. He's just simply exercising self-control but he's hearing everything he's also knowing what they're thinking the Greek for testifying against you is to bear witness against someone to in order for them to prove them guilty they're not just saying little things they're accusing them of grave actions and not just some horrible action many horrible actions and what was Jesus response in verse 14. He did not answer him with regard to even a single charge. So the governor was quite amazed. Again, Jesus kept silent. He did not answer to any of his accusers. This reaction amazed Pilate. MacArthur states, he was amazed because he knew the Jews would not bring an insurrectionist to him to be persecuted. He knew that the Jews hated Rome and would have gladly allowed him to stir up the crowd and would gladly allow him to cause certain deaths. He was amazed because he knows Jesus was innocent. He knew the evilness of the Jews. He'd been doing it for a while, the Sanhedrin especially, not the Jews in general, the Sanhedrin. He knew that. But did this amazement cause him to repent and be saved? Pontius Pilate? No. No. We know that he's the one that gives the official sentencing to Christ's death. We're going to look at that in a couple of weeks. And we know that Christ did not do this to impress the Roman governor. He did it to obey his father and to die for the world's sins. This was part of God's predetermined plan before the beginning of time. He would stay quiet for you and me. He would receive that sentence for you and me. Sad that Pilate could discern that he was an innocent man, but he could not discern that he was a son of God. And some of you know that Christ is Lord, but still don't want to bother me. Don't be like Pilate and end up in hell where it's too late. How do we apply these truths that we have learned of Jesus' response to our lives? Well, number one, praise God that Jesus is king of the universe. Praise God that Jesus is king of the universe. He's in control. He is sovereign. He is holy. And he offers salvation to all those who repent and believe. He was quiet before the tribunal when they were accusing him. But you best believe he is before the father. Constantly advocating for you and me. For those who have made him Lord. That's the best advocate that we can have. So praise him for that. Another application that we can use or we can apply to our lives is be slow to anger, quick to love when it comes to being accused. Following Jesus' footsteps. If Jesus never sinned against false accusations or any accusations, we shouldn't either. Rather, let us trust the king, the one who judges righteously. Let us trust him. Revenge is from the Lord. Lastly, trust in God's plans over your lives, even if they seem difficult. As mentioned earlier, guys, nothing catches God by surprise, not even your difficult circumstance. Trust in his plans and pray for the peace that only he can give. And be filled with his spirit, which is his word to help you navigate during these difficult times. Let us pray. God we praise you for being king we praise you for being Lord we praise you for going to the cross and dying on our behalf we praise you for your plan of salvation we praise you for having self control before a governor who was accusing you or people who were accusing you falsely accusing you and you did it for us we praise you king Father, help us be like you, slow to anger, quick to love. We know that under any circumstances, there's no reason to ever want to sin or it's okay to ever sin. Help us be like Christ. And Father, help us trust in you as we go through difficult times. Just as Jesus was going and living through a difficult time of being accused and he trusted in you, help us trust in you, God. And know that you're in control of all of our lives. We worship you. It is in your precious name that we pray.